0: you ever watch this guy on television you all were not telling the truth and you should not be trusted congressman matt gates thank you for what you did for your country today be offended with the democratic whip not house republicans like a machine matt gates welcome to hot takes this is congressman matt gates let's talk about the news some good news my good friend tiffany trump graduating from georgetown law school Tiffany is just a fantastic person and uh, really up-to-date on a lot of the legal issues surrounding the interface of digital platforms and the consumer experience, and uh, she's had really a lot of uh, advice that's been very helpful to me regarding how we can create better equity on digital platforms so that conservative voices are able to be vibrant and bold in a marketplace of ideas that our great country deserves. So. Congrats, Tiff. We're all proud of you, and I know great things are ahead. There is no news hotter today, and no take hotter, than my good buddy Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, breathing some fire down on the media. Uh, He was fantastic in his articulation of the Florida
1: approach, and how it's worked, here is the governor of Florida. Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was gonna be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. Not only do we have a lower death rate, well, we have way lower deaths generally, we have a lower death rate than the Acela Corridor, D.C., everyone up there. We have a lower death rate than the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. But even in our region, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida has the lower death rate, and I was the number one landing spot from tens of thousands of people leaving the number one hot zone in the world to come to my state. So we've succeeded. And I think that people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative. It challenges their assumption. So they got to try to find a boogeyman. Maybe it's that they're a black helicopter circling the Department of Health. If you believe that, um, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. You
0: know, there is a certain successful quality to folks like DeSantis and Trump who Just take it to the media who don't sit back and allow themselves to be defined, but who get out there and uh, really defend themselves. It was great to see. Uh, There's another great article in the National Review by Richard Lowry. Uh, Where does Ron DeSantis go to get his apology? The national media was so obsessed with Florida beaches that it, it really... I think unfairly characterized the great work the governor was doing. In the last podcast, I talked about some of the specific choices that the governor made that were effective in limiting the transmission rate and the mortality rate. Now Governor DeSantis and his team are on to sentinel testing, surveillance testing, uh, and I am confident that Florida will restore consumer confidence and visitor confidence Faster because we've got a governor who really is into the data and the details. I talked to Governor DeSantis yesterday. I can tell you he was he was reviewing reports about specific ways in which coronavirus uh, interacted with uh, moisture and humidity, and was like you know down into the specific facts and how that might. Uh, inform on some of the policy choices that he's got to make upcoming. So he's been right all along. Uh, I'm glad to call him a friend. I'm glad to be a supporter of his. And I'm sure glad uh, he brought out the fire in his interactions with uh, the media when they tried to cast him in an unfair light. That's how you fight in the era of Trump. Who knew that Elon Musk would become like a new cult figure of the political right during the time of coronavirus Elon Musk tweeting out, cancel, cancel culture. And amen to that. I am so against the cancel culture. And I don't think you're going to be canceling Elon Musk. He got into it with officials in California as he was doing everything he could in a safe and responsible way to open up, give people a chance to access their economic prosperity and continue the great drive of American innovation that Elon Musk has had such a role in really throughout his life. But it raises the question. What in the hell is Elon Musk still doing in the state of California? Come to Florida, baby. Elon Musk needs to be a Florida man. He needs to join President Trump and so many others that have brought their dreams and resources and registrations to the great state of Florida because we don't have that California view of the world that we feel more powerful in the government when we can restrict your choices and your progress and your commerce. We've also got a big space mission in Florida. Elon Musk has certainly been an innovator in space and uh, developing ways for humans to become a multiplanetary species. And so with Florida leading in that endeavor, it just makes sense that he should come to the Sunshine State. Uh, I noted an article all the way back from 2018 in uh, CNBC, where Musk gets criticized because he gave 40000 bucks to a Republican political action committee to ensure that Republicans were elected to the House of Representatives. And, oh, did the radical left go crazy? They were, you know, indicating that he was a partisan, that he should, you know, be outed as a Republican and as a conservative. And in response, Musk rather nonchalantly said, look, you know, I donate to Republicans. I donate to Democrats. I think that it's important to have a vibrant national discussion around the critical issues facing the day. And bravo for that. I mean, look, I I don't begrudge someone because at a particular moment in time, there might be a Democrat cause or a Democrat candidate that they feel compelled to support. I think it's okay for people to contribute to a vibrant dialogue on issues that they care about. And if Elon Musk tended to lean Republican, I know he says he's an independent, but he would certainly be my kind of Republican on a few issues. In this 2018 CNBC article where he was being criticized for donating to Republicans Musk pointed out that on issues like humanitarian care for the vulnerable, that that he had a very progressive approach. Uh, You know, my mother is in a wheelchair. She has been for uh, all of my life since I was three years old. And I understand the need for any working society to care for the vulnerable. So I, I certainly hold that view. And Elon Musk is also someone who acknowledges the obvious science of climate change and that humans... By releasing carbon absolutely contribute to climate change. Yeah, I don't think Elon Musk has signed up for the Green New Deal approach to having every aspect of our lives controlled by power-hungry people in Washington. I think that Elon Musk is the embodiment of the type of American innovation that we will need to meet our challenge with climate change and other environmental contaminations that have occurred during, during the boomer era. And so I I'm hopeful that uh, with Elon Musk realizing the cancel culture vibe out there in California, that he'll pack up and uh, head on over to the great state of Florida. And heck, we can build some great Teslas for him here. And uh, we can certainly create the kind of launch environment that would achieve Elon Musk's great space ambitions for our human species. Stacey Abrams is not a candidate for anything right now, which is why I can talk about her on a non-political podcast. But I think she's wanting to be a candidate for vice president, which is why her very effective PR team has spun up this Washington Post profile of Stacey Abrams that that really reads more like a hero's comic book than uh, a review of how someone stands on the issues of their qualifications for a position. It, it Compare Stacey Abrams to a runway supermodel, and has a pose of her in a cape, uh, if you can think, uh, I guess, of all things. But you know, this mythologizing of losers is something that the media seems to do with some frequency. I mean, you'll remember, like after Beto O'Rourke lost a Senate race. Like he was the next big thing in the presidential campaign until he actually got out there and was not all that interesting to voters as he hopped from table to table. And then you had Andrew Gillum, right? He was the next Obama, this national force, despite the fact that all he had actually done was be a failing mayor of a small town until making the news recently in a hotel room with a male prostitute, drugs and what appeared to be a disco ball and various forms of of, uh, pharmaceuticals, you know. So now Stacey Abrams loses the governor's race in Georgia, doesn't concede, and uh, now is like deemed by not just the Washington Post, but other mainstream media, the next great thing in Democrat politics. Here is an interview. The last time Stacey Abrams was on, Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. And what's just fascinating about this is that he's asking a question about her qualifications, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. But the premise of the question is whether or not people will overlook her obvious on paper qualifications. So just, just listen to the question from Chuck Todd. Try to understand how absurd it is that he builds that into the premise. And then, even just as interesting, listen to her answer.
1: I'm going to ask you the VP question. Do you worry that no matter how qualified you are on paper, that the perception you've not run a large organization as an executive office holder um, or have not won statewide is a knock against you? For the last year and a half, I have run three national organizations, including Fair Fight 2020, which is in 18 states, protecting the right to vote. I've been traveling the country promoting a census that is accurate and that helps us prepare for the next pandemic and for redistricting. And I've been working to make certain that poor families, especially those in the South, but around the country have the services they need. I believe in doing the work. I've been doing it since the day I did not become governor and I will continue to do so. And I do so at a national level because I understand that while I may be grounded in Georgia and a daughter of the South, my responsibility is to do the work to make sure all of our communities are healthy and safe and able to participate in our democracy. So now
0: here Stacey Abrams is saying that her her qualification to be the vice president of the United States to someone who, who is obviously sort of in the early stages of, uh, of, of something. Uh, so her qualification is she has run a multi-state organization to register voters. Now, like this is not some, massive employee base this is not some strategic company that's got to find develop a brand or find their their echelon in the market like by by this standard stacy abrams would barely be qualified to like own and manage a modest chain of ruby tuesdays and yet baked into the premise of chuck todd's question is just how darn qualified she is and yet you know people who go out there you know like Ted Cruz and Ron DeSantis and President Trump who win elections, uh, they don't seem to get the same treatment as the losers. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's the price of winning. You got to go out there and fight. So at this point, everyone in America knows that there was a Trump dossier, that it was false, that it was an attack on our democracy, that it was funded by Democrats, that it was polluted by Russians. And then it was used illegally in a secret court with no adversarial process to smear and spy on Americans with the hope of gaining leverage against the president. Now we know that there wasn't just a Trump dossier, there was also a Flynn dossier. The FBI doing everything they could not just to pay for dirt on the president, but even to pay for dirt on the people around the president when they went to speak to Flynn, uh, it wasn't to conduct a legitimate counterintelligence investigation. They had already listened to all the conversations that that they were aware of between Flynn and Kislyak. Uh, instead, it was an effort to set him up uh, to get him out of the Trump administration and then to use that as leverage somehow against the president and and really to try to recast the Obama administration's foreign policy failures as the fault of Russia, this you know, this declining power. And I mean, think about how Russia has been viewed in my lifetime. You know, you you got uh, George W. Bush, who said he could, you know, look into Putin and see his soul. You had uh, Senator John McCain say that, that he saw only the KGB. Uh, you had Mitt Romney say that Russia was this greatest geopolitical threat that we could possibly face as a country. And I sort of want to just reply, you know, okay boomers to all of that because it it doesn't strike me as a real modern approach uh, to Russia and Flynn in his communications with Susan Rice and others seemed to embody the more modern perspective that Russia while not our friend, while mischievous, uh, was really a regional power and to every extent that we could deconflict with Russia uh, that was probably a good thing for the world and uh, and again, that doesn't mean that we share values or interests. It simply means that, um, you know, in the fight against radical Islam and the desire to have diminished violence on the Syria-Turkey border, there are some places where Russia can be less of a malign actor and more cooperative. And so Flynn really opens the door to those policy questions. But what we have also learned about Flynn is that the setup, the detail, the unmasking really shows how high this scandal went. Think about it. Flynn was the incoming national security advisor. I mean, this guy wasn't going to get taken out by, you know, some low level bureaucrat in a windowless cubicle with green shades on. I mean, we saw circumstances where the FBI lawyer, uh, Kevin Smith altered documents before the FISA court. But like it, it it really with Flynn goes so much deeper than that. And I think that what we've learned in these recent disclosures uh, is very, very damaging to Obama and to Biden. Uh, Here's my commentary on Sean Hannity last night regarding the way in which uh, the Flynn setup informs on the depth of the scandal and the people involved. If lies were music, Susan Rice would be Mozart. If I were (laughs) writing myself an email where three times I had to say I did everything by the book, that is certainly more incriminating than it is exculpatory. And when you look at Jim Comey, just look at the last three tweets from Jim Comey. You have a flower an attack on the Department of Justice that's probably investigating him, and praise for the removed, disgraced, now former chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr. Now, if Rick Grinnell had been the director of National Intelligence back in 2017, Jim Comey would probably already be under the jail because the Grinnell disclosures lay bare the coup before the American people. Obama was involved, Biden was involved, Susan Rice was involved, and Jim Comey was set up to be the inside man going from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. And remember all that weird journaling he was doing to try to set the president up on obstruction of justice? Well, now it is exposed and it's my expectation that finally we could get justice from the investigation that uh, A.G. Barr is overseeing. Chuck Ross with The Daily Caller has written a brilliant piece that highlights some elements of the Inspector General's report regarding the setup of Michael Flynn in a way that the traditional media has not done. You know Flynn, in fact, faced these unproven allegations that he was having an affair with some lady with tied tied to Russians. Uh, That allegation was bought and paid for by our own FBI from Christopher Steele. Matter of fact, Chuck Ross's reporting goes through these elements of the Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report, where he says that the FBI had paid significant sums of money to Christopher Steele, this foreign agent. Essentially to go dig up dirt on Flynn and in Horowitz's review of the dirt, it doesn't even appear that it's all to be true. They allege that Flynn is having some extramarital affair with some Russian lady and that he left some dinner with her. But when the Horowitz team went and talked to the husband of this lady, uh, he indicated that he came and picked her up. So it seems to be that our government may have been paying for dirt from a foreign operative to disrupt our democracy and the democratic choices that our voters made. Uh, and they did so all the while crowing about the negative consequences of foreign interference. You know, I mean it, the Democrats spent the better part of three years just you know crying and moaning about foreign interference in our elections. And I'm sitting here saying, well, what about the domestic interference? I mean, what about the interference from our own government, from these elites in Washington? Who believed that they had all the answers and that they weren't going to let the voters have the president that they selected so i would say maybe domestic interference is something that we need to talk a lot more about and focus on Uh, chuck ross's piece also talks about the way that the fbi really wanted to get access to the sub sources of steel the people he talked to to build out the dossier now why is that important well because we now know as a consequence of these revelations and investigations that have occurred subsequently that the sub sources of steel were specifically targeted by Russian intelligence. That one of the ways that Russia wanted to be mischievous was not just to demean Hillary Clinton, which they probably did, but also to demean Donald Trump. The FBI field office in Washington, D.C. actually recommended closing the counterintelligence investigation into Michael Flynn That seems consistent with the notes that that show that they didn't even know why they were talking to him if it wasn't a setup. And guess who kept the Flynn case open? Guess who ensured that there was still an insurance policy against President Trump and his team? That's right, Peter Strzok. The very same Peter Strzok who reflected bias, who was utilizing uh, the FBI's system to try to create uh, some smear against the incoming president. Uh, the same Peter Strzok, who, you know, was, I, I guess, you know, maybe in his efforts to impress his uh, girlfriend, Lisa Page, was trying to show what a what a big bad baller he was and what his capabilities were to uh, impeach and destabilize the presidency. So when you see these characters like Strzok as the basis to maintain the investigation, and when you see other presumably honest FBI people saying, well, is this a setup? Do we even have a basis to be here? Why are we even investigating Flynn? Why don't we close this counterintelligence investigation? It just makes you wonder, how are they able to keep up the con so long? How are they able to do it? And and really nothing better encapsulates this than the commentary of my good friend and mentor, Congressman Jim Jordan. Uh, Jim Jordan was on the Hannity Show and, and really compared... The three months of Rick Rinnell and all the disclosures we've gotten uh, to the three years that we've had under FBI director Christopher Ray. Uh, here's Congressman Jordan's commentary on that subject. Compare three years of Chris Ray with three months of Rick Rinnell. I I don't see where the FBI director is taking this seriously.
1: You know, we talk about all these terrible things that happened in January of 2017, and they were bad. Comey telling him to keep pursuing Mike Flynn, even though the agents wanted to drop it. Comey meeting with Obama, talking about the
0: Flynn-Kislyak conversation. Comey going up to Trump Tower, briefing the president on the dossier that he already knows is false. And, of course, Comey sneaking guys into the White House to set up Michael Flynn on January 24th. But we forget what happened in those critical eight days in May of 2017,
1: Comey's fired on the 9th, Mueller gets appointed on the 17th as a special counsel. But in between, they were talking, Rod Rosenstein, about wearing a wire. They were talking about the 25th
0: Amendment. They They were talking about an obstruction of justice investigation into the President of the United States,
1: and Chris Ray doesn't seem to care. So we're gonna try to go around him and see if we can get these guys to come testify and answer some questions.
0: My good friend, a great Texan, someone I've served with on the House Judiciary Committee, John Ratcliffe has been confirmed as the new Director of National Intelligence. John will do a fantastic job. He was one of the leading legal minds in the defense of the president, both in the Russia hoax and in the goofy knockoff Ukraine sequel. You know, the president had originally nominated John Ratcliffe as a consequence of his qualifications and diligence and uh, his patriotism for the country. And it was weird when, when he was first nominated, I did not see a whole lot of love uh, from the United States Senate. You know, the, the now uh, disgraced, removed, former Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr uh, gave a pretty lukewarm statement in response to Radcliffe's original nomination. And then lo and behold, when President Trump put uh, acting director Rick Grinnell in place, Boy, the Senate sure seemed to hop to it to confirm Radcliffe. Uh, Here's what you can expect from John. Very high integrity, high honesty, and I'll make this bold prediction. John always seemed to be most worked up in the Judiciary Committee about the information that should have been included in the discussion and in the analysis of all this Russia stuff that wasn't included, Uh, whether those in those pieces of evidence took the form of transcripts or recordings or notes. You know, John was always a guy that felt like the more actual proof that we got before the American people of this corrupt setup, the better. And that sometimes rubbed some of the traditional Intel people on the right and on the left the wrong way. You know, that that is a community built on secrecy and keeping stuff contained and I know that there is a time when that's appropriate, but when you're trying to steal an election from the voters, uh, we need to get out as much information as possible. And so uh, I think it would be hard to top the incredible tenure of Rick Grinnell as the acting DNI, but I have every confidence that John Ratcliffe will continue that progress. I think you're going to see more disclosures uh, under Ratcliffe. I'll leave you this nugget specifically as it relates to George Papadopoulos and the effort to set him up and make him into some like big criminal figure when he clearly wasn't, uh, there's evidence around that that I think will be the focus of John Ratcliffe and some of the people that were engaged by our government to try to set up Papadopoulos the way they set up Flynn. Uh, I think you may be learning a lot more about that. For all that we've learned about Flynn, there's a lot more to learn about the way that our own government uh, tried to you know, convert the otherwise pretty legitimate activities of George Papadopoulos into like the centerpiece of some international criminal ring. So we'll learn more and John's going to get the truth out. Thanks so much for listening to Hot Takes with Matt Gates. We appreciate all of the five star ratings and reviews that you're able to offer. You have no idea how important those are to ensure that other folks are able to consume our content, share their ideas and contribute to this great national discussion that we're having. So leave a five-star review, leave your suggestions and thoughts, and tune in tomorrow for more hot takes.